all who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect, so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Those who have believing masters should not show them disrespect just because they are fellow believers. Instead, they should serve them even better because their masters are dear to them as fellow believers and are devoted to the welfare of their slaves. These are the things you are to teach and insist on. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into a ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made a good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honour and might forever. Amen. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in so doing have departed from the faith. Grace be with you all.
Good morning. It's uh, my wonderful privilege to be able to open up the scriptures this morning. This last in our series on the household. And um, it is a great joy to do that. My name is Stephen Abbott. For those who may be online and don't know who I am, or if you're a guest today and don't know who I am, I'm one of the staff team here at the moment. Let me pray as we open up the scriptures. Heavenly Father, it's your word that we've come to listen to. We want your Holy Spirit to take these words and to lay us open, lay us bare. Uh, Lord, um, where we need to be warned, may we be warned this morning. Where we need to be comforted, may we be comforted. Uh, May your Spirit take these words and transform us so that we are more like you and less like the world, so that we might then influence the world to be more like you and to follow you. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. David Maloof, an Australian, well-known Australian author, uh, wrote an essay a few years ago called The Happy Life, The Search for Contentment in a Modern World. The author writes that despite Australian prosperity, these things still seem to be true. The good life is not enough. We have nothing to complain of, he writes, but we we are happy enough, but we are not quite happy. We are still somehow unsatisfied and this dissatisfaction is deeply felt. If pressed, our friends and neighbours will probably tell us that what they are suffering from is stress. Uh, A sense of that the world about them, as they feel it and as it touches their life, all is not well. Uh, They do not in the end feel secure or safe. This dissatisfaction, this lack of final assurance of safety is identified as unrest. But what is it? that makes us so uneasy, so fearful that our lives are not yet safely in hand, that the future we are facing may be darker than the optimists believed. That the world as we now see it is too large and the forces within it that govern our lives are too complex for us to grapple with and manage. Well, given our current climate, the pandemic, the increasing apprehension about global warming, the rising national debt, the rising power, or maybe we should say bullying, of communist China, uh, the instability of North Korea's leadership, the fears surrounding the rise of uh, Islamic extremism uh, since Afghanistan has now been taken over by the Taliban, will that open up again? Given all of these and more, we might locate the reason for people's fear, dissatisfaction, insecurity, and even feeling unsafe. But still, despite all of this, Australians resist personal engagement with Jesus. Now, according to a recent survey, it uh, indicates that the vast, well, a large number, over and above 50%, 60-odd percent, in fact, believe that the Christianity, the Christian faith, has a positive influence in Australian society. And yet, far more Australians still keep 
Jesus at arm's length. Aussies persist in defaulting to science. They embrace human technology and materialism as the solutions to their problems of insecurity and safety. Why? Well, they swim in an ocean of prosperity and human arrogance. And in this ocean, one person put it, almost half the people are drowning and the other half are swimming in the wrong direction. God knows the biases of the human heart. He knows how the heart can be deceived and misled. Therefore, Scripture regularly addresses a key area of discipleship, and that is the place of material possessions in the Christian household's life. Now, this is the dominant theme running through 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 to 21, and will be the focus this morning. As we've noted throughout 1 Timothy, a recurring concern has been the false teachers who have deviated from the sound doctrine of Jesus. They have divided the congregation. And here in this text, they have, we're told their motivation was financial gain. They're out to make a living out of the Christian message. Now it's this last element which prompts God through Paul in this text to address this significant issue in our lives, our approach to material wealth. Three different people groups are mentioned in this passage. The poor who desire to be rich in verses 6 and 10. Christian leaders represented by the man of God, Timothy, in verses 11 to 16. Who can be tempted to be rich, to use the gospel as a means of gain. And then those who are already rich, mentioned in verses 17 to 19. Now, my approach this morning is not going to be to go through them systematically, but rather having looked at the text to see what are the key th three key theological, biblical ideas about that we need to embrace when we think about material possessions. I'm sure you're familiar with the Health uh, Society, HCF. You'll see the ads on TV. Sue and I happen to be members of the HCF Health Fund. We're in it because uh, we're getting old and our bodies fail and you need surgery at some point, and I've had several, um, and it's a way of having some health insurance. But let me tell you what HCF can't do for me. They will not keep me from dying. I will die. And I hate to bring you the bad news this morning. You too will die. But I want to tell you this morning about another HCF, spiritual health insurance, that will stop you from dying spiritually. So let's look at these, um, these ideas of HCF. But before I do, I... I, I know it's early, but who likes chuppa chups? There's a hand gone up, David's gone up. Now this happens to be a cola. I'd say, do you like cola chuppa chups? Is it too early for you to eat one? Okay, now because we're on screen, I don't want to go too far lower. Dave, will you come and grab this, mate? The only thing you have to do, Dave, you've got to suck on it while I'm speaking. You promise to do that? Good on you, mate. Go for it. We'll get back to you. 
Having just talked about health insurance, now I'm giving out sweets. This doesn't sound make a lot of sense. <laughs> it might make sense later. Firstly then, the H of HCF spiritual health insurance. Hope in God, not hopeless riches. Now I need to be very upfront. We are amongst the wealthiest people in the world. I know you, we tend to compare ourselves with the people who live over the harbour uh, we compare ourselves with those who drive European cars, and I don't mean Skodas. Um, we, we compare ourselves with people who fly business and first class. They say, well, we're not wealthy. But for the vast majority of people in the world, if they don't work, they don't eat. And if they don't eat, they'll ultimately die. And these poor people have no government safety net. They have no bank accounts to draw on. We are really the rich. You might want to duck and weave, but we are among those mentioned in verses 17 to 19 who are classified as rich. And there are three noteworthy warnings and truths in this passage for us to hear. One, riches can produce arrogance. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. How deceptive wealth can be. It makes us feel we are more powerful, valuable, clever, better than others. People defer to the wealthy, do they not? With wealth comes privilege, and with privilege comes pride. And pride can kill the soul. Scriptures say this over and over again. So beware arrogance, pride. Secondly, riches are uncertain and they are temporary. Verse 17, uh, nor do believers put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Now this has already been underscored in verse 7, where we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of the world. In Australia, we really, really need to hear these truths. For everywhere we look, people are possessed by their possessions. And it's easy for us to be sucked into that situation. Where do you see this in your and others' lives? We could spend time discussing it, but let me just mention a few things. Our houses, they take time and energy. We say we've paid off our mortgage, but that's never true. There's always something extra you've got to do to keep it working and, and operational. Cars are the same. They need to be maintained. Gardens also, got to pull the weeds out. TVs, well, it certainly possesses us, doesn't it, at times. I wonder if we can hear our Father's voice above the pandemics, above the storms, above the financial crises, above the bushfires and the floods. Can we hear his voice? Listen. Wealth is uncertain. Put your hope in me. A preacher once picked up a hitchhiker and uh, after a while, um, a young guy, um, the preacher and he got talking because he worked out he was a preacher. He thought he'd tell him, oh, my, my uncle, who, who's a millionaire, he died recently. Um, and the preacher said to him, no, he didn't. Uh, what do you mean? 
He didn't die a millionaire. He's my uncle. How would you know? He said, who's got the million? And the young man thought, oh, I guess you're right. See, the reality is no one dies a millionaire. We all die paupers. That's the biblical perspective. You cannot take it with you. You do not see trailers on the back of hearses. Listen to this. Possessions are only the travelling luggage of time, not the stuff of eternity. Why don't we all read that together? It's on the screen. Possessions are only the travelling luggage of time, not the stuff of eternity. This perspective should shape our economic lifestyle. We need to travel light. And even Proverbs says this, Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. So riches produce arrogance, riches are uncertain, and thirdly, riches are destructive, a deadly focus for life. Verses 9 and 10. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin. Look at the language here. It's very um, um, emotive, isn't it? They plunge us into ruin. Some people eager um, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Money is actually neutral. What makes it destructive and deadly is the misplaced heart and passions. John Stott paints, uh, the late John Stott paints a powerful picture when he writes, money is a drug and greed is a drug addiction. Are we addicted? Like all addictions, they destroy human life and relationships. How are we to neutralize these three negative poisonous elements about riches? Well, there comes one huge positive in verse 17. Put your hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Trust God, leave him to look after us. As the New Testament so often does, it lifts our eyes to the eternal one and to an eternal last day's perspective. It says, remember your ultimate homecoming. This helps us remind us of proper way to handle material possessions. Uh, we need to see wealth as God's gift to be enjoyed God's way until God's final close of time. Christians understand who will meet us at our eternal homecoming. Look at this magnificent description of God. God, the blessed and holy ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honour and might forever. Amen. Isn't that magnificent? That's the God we are heading for. We have a homecoming with this God. 
we're heading for that unapproachable light because now in Jesus it is approachable and we will live in his presence for all eternity. Knowing this means we will place our hope in the eternal God and let our honour of him shape the way we use our riches that he has gifted us. They are his anyway. So H, we hope in God, not hopeless riches. The second element is C, we conform to God's corrective commands. I'm sure you'd be familiar with the flight or fight response to fear or threat. Um, When I was younger, I would generally flee. That's the option that I would go for. But I'm getting old now. I've got a bad leg and bad hip. I'm falling apart at the seams, as you will do one day. Um, and, and so I can, I can neither fight or flight. So I think I just fall on the floor and curl in a ball in the fetal position and hope no one gets me. But these responses of fight or flight, which one comes so intuitively when we are physically threatened, sadly, aren't as keenly attuned when it comes to spiritual threat. But that's what 1 Timothy is seeking to do. Cause us to fight or fight, flight. Therefore, in verses 11 and 12, flowing as it does immediately after the dangers of wealth, says this, but you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life. Four commands, flee, pursue, fight, take hold. We're not only to show a clean pair of heels to evil, we are also to be in hot pursuit of what is good. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance and gentleness. We're to fight the good fight of faith and take hold of eternal life. Always in the Christian faith, we run from the values of the world, but we do not run aimlessly. The world can't be trusted, so we run from the evil and its passions, and we run to God and his passions. A similar chord is struck in verse 18, where we read, Command them to do good to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. Notice this also follows immediately after some dangers have been mentioned in verse 17. So do you want to avoid the poison of pride and the dangers of hoping in uncertain wealth? Here's the antidote. Act like God does towards us. Verse 18 we read, God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. The essence of this teaching is this. The way to sit loose to our money and material possessions is to be generous with them as God is generous to us. We give them away to those who are in need. Just in chapter 5 of 1 Timothy, the widows were drawn to our attention, the real widows who need support and encouragement and financial encouragement. There are the pastors who have the responsibility of preaching and teaching. We're told to make their of double honour, which is a way of saying they need to be paid so they don't have to work, so they can prepare their sermons properly and do a good job. And there are many other people in need in our community. We are ready to give. 
So are we open and ready to be generous here at um, Fig Tree Anglican Church? Soon we'll be presenting the three great gift day projects and we'll be looking to raise around $75,000. But there were many other projects we'd like to have put on the agenda, but we're trying to be uh, good stewards and not stretch us too much. But if we were to get more than 75,000 other great projects, projects that will help us provide generously towards the needs of others, projects that will empower us to be a church that's more visible and more open and more welcoming of people than we're able to be currently. Will we be in sync with the generous heart of God? So H, we hope in God. C, we follow the corrective commands of God. We give things away. We don't collect it for ourselves. Material possessions can indeed be a terrible master, but a spectacular resource when employed according to God's directions, which is one way we can do F, fix firm foundations for the future. Verses 13 to 15, in the sight of God and of Christ Jesus, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God never dances to our tune. He dances to his own tune. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Do you hear the two great incentives for being faithful with our lives and in particular our wealth here? These words tell us there's an audience in heaven, God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. They're the ones we're heading to in our homecoming. But there is an end to the journey. There actually is a homecoming until the appearing of Jesus. We are destined for a great homecoming with Father God and our older brother Jesus Christ. The household all together in time and space the best family reunion you'll ever attend if you follow Jesus. And if you don't, can I urge you to do so? Find out about him. Embrace him. So ask yourself this question. What audience are we playing to in the daily drama of life? Almighty God and Jesus Christ or the materialistic culture of our society, our peers. The audience we have in mind can make all the difference in the world, can't it? Uh, the class clown who imitates the school teacher when he's not in the classroom suddenly becomes the model student when the teacher turns up. The speeding driver seeking to impress his mates or his girlfriend suddenly becomes a model of care and courtesy when the police car appears. It all depends on what audience you're playing to, how you behave. What audience are we playing to? Are we making financial decisions knowing Christ is coming and this world with everything in it will pass away? Does our homecoming shape our choices each day of our lives? The answer that God wants to hear is found in a sense in verse 19. In this way, we will lay up treasure for them ourselves as a firm foundation for the coming age 
so that we may take hold of the life that is truly life? In what way are Christians to lay up treasure for the coming age? Being generous, giving away the wealth God has given to us. It's hard to do this, but we need to acknowledge that time is running out. The return of Jesus could come at any moment. Time is a divine opportunity to fix firm, eternal foundations by using our riches for good deeds and generosity. It's not that we earn our way to heaven. It's simply that we've so been overwhelmed by the grace and the generosity of Christ that we let that overflow in genuine generosity and kindness to others. It's one of the marks of genuine people of faith. Well, I began this morning reflecting on our Aussie culture and Maloof's observations. The good life, it seems, is not enough. We are happy enough, but we are not quite happy. We are still somehow unsatisfied. And that dissatisfaction is deeply felt. The dissatisfaction, this lack of a final assurance of safety is identified as unrest. Dave. Would you like to bring out your chuppa chup for me, please? <laughs> Keep coming up, mate. I'm going to get you come so the camera can get you. Just give me a look, mate. I won't hold the top end. You've been sucking it, but I will touch. It's a bit smaller, isn't it? Yeah. It's wearing out. Yeah. How much longer you reckon you up? A couple of minutes? Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Dave. Well done, Dave. <laughs> sucking the chuppa chup. Our wealth is like a chuppa chup. We can use it for enjoyment, but it will wear out. It will become nothing. And sadly, our world stubbornly and arrogantly refuses to seek rest in Christ and keeps seeking it in chuppa chups, in wealth and prosperity. It cannot see beyond the material to the eternal. Our world is spiritually blind and dissatisfied, as Maloof describes it. They need you and I who have come to know Jesus to show them a better way. They need a counterculture Christian household who embrace a lifestyle and a budget and a currency which reflects the truth of this text. A household that has embraced the HCF of spiritual health insurance to avoid the temptations of material possessions. That hopes in God, not riches. That conforms to God's commands. That has fixed and firm foundations for the future homecoming by generosity. The story goes of Billy Graham uh, many years ago, the late Billy Graham. He was going to preach in a small town and he was trying to find the post office. He had something to mail and he found a young boy in the street and he said, could you tell me where the post office is? And the young boy told him where it was. And then Billy Graham in typical fashion said to the young boy, look, I'm preaching tonight. I'm preaching on how you can get to heaven. And I wonder if you'd like to come as my guest. And the boy said, oh, I don't think so, sir. You can't even find the post office. How can you show me how to get to heaven? (laughs) Unless 
we can show our society a different approach to material riches, we'll be wearing the shoes of Billy Graham as he wore them in that town. People won't want to hear the good news of Jesus from people whose investment is rooted in material well-being. A household not living for their homecoming. Without Christian role models who show that deep rest and satisfaction comes from giving, not collecting, society will continue to drown in a sea of materialism and keep swimming in the wrong direction. Secular people will continue to be dissatisfied, insecure, unsafe, and in a state of unrest and bound for an eternity without Christ. But where will you and I, the household of faith, find the resources to live this generous way? God, through Paul, made it really clear in 1 Timothy. In fact, he started this way in chapter 1, verse 2, and he ends his letter in this way in verse 21 with the clue. It is only by God's grace the grace that comes to us in the gospel of Christ that brings forgiveness and the Holy Spirit and the hope of eternity. The grace that comes from the gospel of Christ Jesus. That's where we find the resources. So I close with Paul's prayer for us all. Grace be with you all. May we be so filled with God's grace that we radiate the generosity of Christ to our community. So let's close by saying this short prayer together for each other. Together, grace be with you all.